finally October, the leaves are turning, temperatures dropping, football weather is here. The Cincinnati Bengals are 3-1 after a thrilling comeback victory. To start week four, they're in second place in the entire AFC. Titans taken on the Jets as week four begins for NFL and the Chiefs taken on the Eagles. May sound shocking to say, but the Chiefs are looking for an opportunity to go back on track a little bit early on this season as they've struggled. Our BetUS NFL team looks ahead to the remaining 15 games on the schedule coming up next. Hey everybody, welcome to the BetUS NFL Show. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by expert football handicappers Las Vegas Chris on your left and Scott Kellen on your right. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can find Chris on Twitter at Las Vegas Chris. That's C-R-I-S. You can find Scott at Sixth Sense NFL, and you can find me at MLandis18. This is our week four pick show. And Chris, week four is off to a good start after another primetime nail biter to start the week last night, just like we drew it up. The Bengals didn't lead until time expired, but their leg in our teaser still came home. Yeah, it was. I don't usually like to play the Thursday games, and it was another one of those games that just makes you pay for playing it uh, and, and just you curse out yourself for the whole game. And somehow you squeak out, a, you know, the first leg of a teaser and you're just good to be uh, – rid of that game. It was nice to see Burrow come back and uh, uh, do well. And uh, Jacksonville did well for the first half. So a uh, little optimism there for both teams. I think Cincinnati's defense is better than people think. And as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be a team that's going to cause a little bit of a headache for people. Yeah. And Scott, you weren't here with us on Tuesday to get down on that Bengals teaser. I'm not sure that you would have even had you been on the show. But that said, you're probably still having a better week so far than both Chris and myself. <laughs> hey, well, first of all, I appreciate T.A. coming on. And uh, for people who don't follow him, he's a great follow. So so do that. Uh, he'll be very helpful. And yeah, I was down in Cabo. And, uh, you know, Matt, you don't not only get pick advice on this show, but I'm going to give you a little advice from going to Cabo. Uh, Two things. Apparently, you're not allowed to bring two laptops into Cabo. Uh, one's the maximum, so you'll pay a fine. Uh, and second thing is pineapple juice. I learned from a couple of friends that we met from um, uh, Michigan and Ohio. Pineapple juice is a wonderful chaser with tequila. I highly suggest you give it a try, but be careful. You might very easily drink the whole bottle of tequila with that chaser. So that's my advice, and the rest of it will be all picks advice. So I just feel bad for you that you're just figuring that out now. <laughs> Why did you tell and, uh, me this a long time ago, Chris? <laughs> my generation might confuse the pineapple juice for a nice hazy IPA that sometimes can taste like pineapple juice, but comes with an eight to ten percent ABV, so that could get a little dangerous. But <laughs> yeah, good good times here. Not just betting advice, uh, but that said, guys, the betting advice has been pretty on point so far this season. It's been a recurring theme these past few Friday mornings, noting that the Thursday night game has gotten our weeks off to a good start. And the good start hasn't been ending there. So I think in the spirit of transparency, it'd be great to take a look at our records through three weeks so we can pull up a graphic for the audience joining us live on YouTube. We can see that Chris is seven, five and one so far. I'm six, four and two. Scott, five, three and one. So a few pushes there, but basically each of us, two games above 500, collectively 18, 12 and four. That's 60%. And guys, that sets the bar awfully high 
but we'll certainly do our best to keep it rolling. Scott yeah, keeps getting Scott keeps getting pushed around everywhere down in Cabo with the games. <laughs> hey, it, it's been a good start. And, you know, for me, the first couple of weeks, you try to do your homework on what you think teams are going to be coming out of the gate. And you just hope that you're kind of right with your guesses, if you will. Uh, and now I know Chris has spoke about it. The metrics kick in for him. They kick in for me even more so next week. So looking forward to hopefully we can, uh, you know, give good volume and, and continue the success and uh, pick it up from where we left off here the last three weeks. Yeah, I had some goofy stuff. Uh, this is uh, like Christmas for me. It, this is the start of the season for me when the, when I can start using the metrics and there was a lot of goofy stuff that I saw that required that I actually go back a couple of weeks and, and look at the paperwork to to see if this kind of thing had, had happened previously. And uh, uh, I was able to confirm that uh, my data should still be good and uh, uh, everything's in line and I'm looking forward to this week. Yeah, well, to that end, today we'll go ahead and break down the rest of the week for board right here at BetUS where the game begins. And a quick note that the lines are often moving as we speak on Friday mornings. So we'll stay on top of any market activity and maybe even fire in a live bet or two ourselves as we record this. A couple housekeeping notes. If you're joining us on YouTube, you know the drill. Go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe, jump in the comments. Let's have some fun with this. And before we kick things off, make sure to sign up today if you haven't already at BetUS and use the promo code NFL2021 to claim your 125% signup bonus. For more information, check out the link below this video. And on that note, guys, let's dig into the week four slate, starting with the Sunday early window. Let's talk Washington football team traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Washington currently laying one at a juicy minus 120 total at 47 and a half and Chris you've got a side in this one yeah I, I, I like bananas I'm going for the banana in the tailpipe with the Redskins again this week uh, it, it, on Tuesday I had to call an audible because they were going to be my trending down team after the way they showed up and uh, when my metrics were printed out Unfortunately, I realized that uh, they weren't quite as bad as they looked. They're uh, in comparison to Atlanta. And so I couldn't very well on Tuesday make it my team going down and then come back on uh, Friday with a play on them. So uh, that's why I audibled out. But Washington's getting healthier. Uh, Samuel should be ready to go. Uh, Heineke had real problems last week. He didn't have time to throw. The receivers were uh, covered like blankets, and it, it was just tough. And Atlanta's got one of the worst, if not the worst, pass rush defense. Heineke's going to have time to throw. He's going to have more people to throw to. And uh, this Atlanta, I don't know what's wrong with Ryan. I mean, I, lo I love that guy coming out of Boston College, and, and he had it just – he just seems to underachieve, but boy, he's just dropping like a lead balloon this year in performance, and they're not getting anything out of their offense this year. So I, I think the Redskins' defense will be a little bit better. I think they'll score a few more points, and uh, I, I favor the Redskins in this game. In fact, uh, Atlanta's got the worst, number one worst scoring decline uh, of minus 9.1 in relation to the to, uh what it was before so it's it just atrocious yeah and scott no bet for you on this one but you are leaning with chris looking at washington 
Yeah, and I'm kicking myself. There was, uh, you know, a couple plus ones. Uh, I think on Monday, uh, I would have loved to take in Washington. I would definitely take Washington as a dog. Hey, Chris hit on it. Samuel's coming back. Washington has actually been very good in terms of protecting the quarterback. They're, they're the third best team and allowing the least amount of pressure. Uh, and Chris hit on it. Atlanta, I've got is sixth worst in creating pressure. So what I see there is if they want to throw the ball, they go back and be able to throw the ball. And Samuel's coming back. That'll be very helpful. And, you know, as bad as Washington's been, they're actually, in by my measures, uh, eighth best in success rate. And Atlanta is fourth worst in success rate allowed. Uh, again, kind of just all playing into this. One bright spot for Atlanta here, potentially. A.J. Terrell looks like he's going to come back as a cornerback. Uh, he is the 11th best cornerback right now in terms of uh, fewest yards per coverage snap allowed. So they'll get helped a little bit in the secondary there. But I think this is a big advantage for uh, Washington. And Chris said, this Atlanta offense has been horrible. You know, when Matt LaFleur came to Green Bay, and Green Bay was 13-3 that first year, their passing offense was actually average that year. So maybe it's something about Arthur Smith just getting the offense going, and maybe this is going to take a little while to get going. But uh, right now, they are not good. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and lean with Washington as well. One more point that I'll add would be something T.A. touched on on our Tuesday show. Washington's had some brutal third down luck on both sides of the ball so far. So a little positive regression for them on third down could go a really long way moving forward. Moving along, I think let's get into our next game, Detroit at Chicago. As the Lions travel to take on the Bears, we're currently saying the Bears as a juicy two-and-a-half-point favorite. Total at 41 and a half. That's a pretty low number. But Chris, regardless of the record, your Lions have been competing this season. Yeah, they sure have. You know, I don't know why it feels this way, but it, it feels like the Lions are 0-3 yet are on an upswing. And the Bears actually have a win and, and, and seem to be, you know, down in the dumps and gloomy, uh, you know, as far as a cloud over their head. Uh, I think... Uh, the optimism for what Fields was going to be able to do, uh, you know, that balloon deflated last week. And so they're coming down to earth. They're, they're facing the real reality that there is not as much optimism as they thought they had. And Detroit coming off that chip shot 66-yard uh, field goal loss uh, – is going to recover fine. They had no expectations this year. They're playing hard. They finish every game. And that's what you want out of a team is, is a team that's going to make, you know, maximum effort. So uh, I would, as a Detroit backer on this game, I don't want to see Fields because he's too unpredictable. And if he breaks containment against Detroit's defense, you know, that guy could run wild. So kind of hoping that we get one of the old fogies in there to uh, to cover quarterback. I think it might be easier for them to manage. But Detroit's pass defense is unbelievable. I, I don't even know what the numbers are. But I, th I think they're giving up it's double digits per play uh, last time I checked. So uh, the both of these teams are are playing at over three, uh, three points lower against against the closing total than they were last year. So that's why this total is so low. Uh, it, and it probably will still, uh, probably the game probably will go under. But uh, I, I lean Detroit in this game. Yeah, and Scott, Chris and I have now both touched on it, that total pretty low at 41 and a half, but in your eyes, it might not be low enough yet. 
Yeah, I lean a little bit under on that too, Matt. Um, and Chris hit on it. It's I've got a lot of good situations on Detroit or going against Chicago here. I, I may still play Detroit in a teaser. The 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 thing I worry about is Detroit's about a yard per pass uh, worse than average throwing the ball. Chicago's about a yard per pass better than average throwing the ball. So that could make it difficult for Detroit to move the ball. The Bears have been absolutely horrible throwing the ball. They're almost three yards per pass below average throwing the ball. Thanks to that, I think they had one net yard passing last week when you factor in the sacks. Uh, but Detroit, as Chris mentioned, I'm looking here, they're giving up 8.8 yards a pass to a schedule of teams who only average 7.1 yards a pass. So they're 1.7 yards a pass worse. So what will be interesting for me in this game is can Justin Fields get it going against a very soft pass defense that's been really hurt you know, by the injury bug? If they can't, then, geez, who knows if there's any hope for Chicago? But that's the one thing that worries me a little bit. If I did anything here, I'd, I'd consider Detroit in a teaser. I'm just worried about their defense, and maybe we get a little bit better effort out of the uh, Bears offense just playing this team. And, and the other thing we pointed out in the preseason stuff, Chicago last year was very good against bad teams, very bad against good teams. One of the reasons we went against them last week. Uh, now, they did beat Cincinnati. It was 3-1. and one, So, I mean, we'll see where Cincinnati goes the rest of this year. But uh, that's the other thing that kind of just sticks in my mind um, that, you know, maybe they can take care of a team that's a, a, an inferior opponent potentially. Yeah, well, you mentioned being curious to see whether Justin Fields can get it going. And we're not even sure if he's going to get that chance yet. So, to that end... I lean with the Lions at the current number. I think at plus three, minus 115, that might warrant a small bet. But with that Bears quarterback situation to be determined, uh, you guys have touched on it. The offense was simply anemic last week. Fields didn't look ready, and neither did Matt Nagy, frankly. And as a result, that Bears defense was on the field for 40 minutes and almost 80 snaps. So I think they might be pretty worn down before this game even kicks off. And surprisingly to me, whoever Chicago starts at quarterback, Detroit looks like the team with the better quarterback and the better coach heading into this one. I didn't see that coming at any time this season, but it appears to be the case as soon as week four. On that note, we can move on to a game where we will have uh, plenty of action here. Let's talk the Titans at the Jets. Tennessee currently laying seven. It reduced big, minus 105, total 44 and a half. And the under has been pounded throughout the week. That makes this point spread loom a little bit larger. And Scott, that might be related to the side you're taking in this one. Yeah, I, I like the Jets here, Matt. Uh, plus seven. This game kind of has an now there's there's, you know, the quarterback is different for the Jets this year that, you know, I felt a little bit more comfortable with last year. But this game has an eerily similar feeling to when Cleveland went to New York last year and Cleveland's receiving core was decimated because of COVID. Uh, and now A.J. Brown looks like he's out. Julio Jones could be out possibly. The, the Jets from the line of scrimmage have not been horrible this year. Where they're getting killed is because of all the turnovers. Uh, you know, but they're, I won't say average from the line of scrimmage, but they're not bad. And Tennessee uh, is 27th in the league in allowing the most sacks. Maybe some of that from week one against Arizona. The Jets are eighth best in the league in generating pressure. Now, the same thing is true for the Jets. They're, they're awful in terms of allowing pressure. Tennessee's actually been pretty good in generating pressure as well. But the other thing here is Tennessee wants to run the ball with Derrick Henry. And, you know, they've been about average running the ball this year. And the Jets are about average defending the run. So I don't know that Tennessee is going to have a ton of success being able to run the ball, which is really what they want to do. They're potentially down some key receivers. The Jets 
possibly we're going to get back Jamison Crowder this week as well. There's been talk every week that he's going to come back, but it sounds like that might be a reality this week. Uh, and then on top of that, we've got a couple decent situations on the Jets here. The Jets have scored under 20 points the last three weeks. And in a NFL, that's a pretty good contrarian situation that works very well for those teams uh, that have not scored well. You ultimately just start getting extra value in the line. And I think we're getting that here. Uh, I make the, uh, the Titans maybe about a six-point favorite here. And Tennessee was or uh, the Jets were shut out last week. That puts them in a very good situation. That's 49-13-3. and three. Um, and the Dolphins had qualified in that situation last week. So we've got some good situations, a little bit of value, and a team that I think met, met, matches up fairly well in a line of scrimmage. I think this is a live play with the Jets. Yeah, you're talking about 20 points uh, in three straight games. They, they have 20 points total in the three straight games. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, and even with all that, I know it can be a bit nauseating, but I'm with you, Scott. I like the Jets here. I think uh, T.A. was early when he took them plus seven and a half on our Tuesday show uh, for a slightly reduced wager amount. I still think the seven has plenty of value. And the key for me is I think this is when we'll see a different side, finally, of Zach Wilson and that Jets offense. It's been a brutal three-game stretch to start the season, and I think the Titans' defense could be a bit of a respite for the Jets, especially if linebacker Bud Dupree can't go. He hasn't practiced yet this week, so his status worth monitoring. And on the other side of the ball, the Jets are going to miss the presence of safety Marcus May. But again, like you said, Scott, if the Titans are without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, that could make a pretty big impact on their offense. And Chris, let's kick it over to you. Any chance that our first unanimous side on this show this season could possibly be the New York Jets of all teams? Well, it's kind of odd here because as much as we ridicule this Tennessee defense, I'm just glancing at uh, what my metrics say. And believe it or not, even after facing Arizona and Seattle, uh, Indiana kept them, Indianapolis kept them healthy enough to stay in the middle of the pack defensively somehow overall. So... Uh, I'm going to keep my eyes uh, on that throughout the season because I, I just pretty much assume they're in the bottom five if, at all times during the season in defense. But the Jets have faced three really tough opponents, and uh, they may have came away with no wins and 20 points, but they've done some things very well. I have them up all the way at number 11 defensively in the league. So uh, not only that, but they've improved their time of possession almost five minutes a game, which makes a big difference if you can keep your defense off the ground or off the field and you're actually utilizing your offense. Uh, so I, I think it's a really tough spot with the injuries we're talking about with Brown and Jones and uh, – I do. You just can't lay seven on the road to a, a desperate home team like the Jets that actually have a lot more going for them uh, than you would think. So, yeah, I like the Jets. We'll, we'll make it unanimous. Hey, I just want to just a couple things Chris said there, which I thought were great points. So, so I'm looking here. I've got Tennessee. Uh, they've allowed 6.1 yards of play to a collection of teams that are averaging 6.3. So kind of to Chris's point, they've actually been slightly above average on defense, and they're a little bit above average defending the pass. But what's really surprising with them is they're 0.9 yards per pass below average throwing the ball, which we've always thought was a strength for them. Now, maybe some of that's becoming coming because they're getting pressure, they're getting sacked, and that takes away from the yards per pass number. And the other thing Chris hit on, 
The Jets, yes, they're only averaging 4.3 yards per pass, which on the surface looks horrible. But the three teams they've played, on average, allow 4.6 yards a pass. So they're just barely below average throwing the ball. So um, it's part of this is just a schedule. And, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for them this week when you start to see the numbers from that standpoint. Yeah, with this being our first unanimous play of the season, I feel like going in on the Jets together, we're either going to feel really smart or really silly collectively come Sunday afternoon. But we can move on because it's an action-packed week. So let's talk the next game on the board, Cleveland traveling to Minnesota. The Browns currently laying two with some extra big, total 51.5. And Chris, another side in play for you on this one. Yeah, I like uh, I like uh, the Browns here. Uh Cook's been banged up. I, even if he plays, he's, he's just not going to be 100%. And uh, I, I think uh, Stefanski has that Minnesota connection, obviously. He's going to come to play. He's going to take this game seriously. He has to. Uh, Minnesota schooled Seattle last week. So is, is Minnesota better than we thought or is Seattle worse than we thought? Uh, we're going to know some of those answers after this weekend. Uh, but... I think this is a, a great chance for Cleveland to get on track against a defense that they can move the ball on. And they, they just don't seem to be firing on all cylinders yet. Uh, so they, 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 they're just a better team than, they, than they've shown so far this season. And Minnesota is just too flawed and it, just too many holes. So uh, it, it's not one of my stronger plays, but I, I, it, I, I show that, Anything less than a field goal is showing value. Yeah, and Scott, I think you and I can understand where Chris is coming from. We don't have a bet yet in this one, but how do you see this game unfolding? Well, I am going to take the Vikings in a teaser here, uh, and I know where Chris is coming from here. You know, if, if I want to support Chris's point here, I'll say, you know, Cleveland's about a half yard better than average running the ball. Vikings have been about a half yard below average stopping the run. So Cleveland should be able to move the ball on the ground. And the Vikings, we know, want to run the ball. Uh, you know, they've been a, a, like 0.2 yards better than average running it. But Cleveland's been very good defending the run. So just there at the line of scrimmage, Cleveland should be able to run the ball. Vikings could struggle a little bit running the ball. Where the Vikings have been, you know, fairly impressive this year is they've actually been very good at the on the offensive line in terms of not getting pressure on Kirk Cousins. And uh, Cleveland is actually allowing a lot of pressure on Mayfield. And the Vikings are generating pressure as well. They're the sixth best team in the league generating pressure, while Cleveland's 29th worst in the league in allowing pressure. So there could be something there. Greg Newsom, he's the fifth best yards per coverage snap cornerback in the league, uh, and he will miss this game, I believe. So that will hurt Cleveland a little bit in the secondary uh, as well. And then on top of that, I've just got a lot of good situations that apply to Minnesota or go against Cleveland coming off a big home win, going on the road, lane points. Uh, I'm not necessarily comfortable taking Minnesota just getting the two, but I do think there's a decent chance here they could come in under the number with a teaser. So I'll, I'll tease Minnesota uh, as my play with them here. I'd also be looking a little bit at the under. Even though both of these teams are, are top 10 offensively, their, their pace of play is much slower. They, I believe uh, one of the teams is, is like seventh and the other one is like 11 or 12. So they're both in the top half of the league for slow rate of play. So they're taking their time. They're keeping their defenses off the, off the field. And uh, just something to look at. That 51 and a half, 52 is, is, is probably too high for this game. 
Yeah, and Chris, what you just touched on is why I only lean to the over at 51 and a half. Initially, I thought I would like it. I mean, we've got two very good offenses here. I think the Browns have the better defense, but neither units looked amazing so far. That said, with a lot of running likely in the cards, we could see a slow tempo. Uh, that's going to keep me off of, you know, a, a bet on the total at this number. And also, even though Dalvin Cook back at practice for the Vikings, probably not going to be 100%. So I lean to the over, but I can certainly see it the other way. So it's a, it's a pass at the end of the day for me on that total. We've had plenty of action on these last couple of games. Uh, coming up, we can get to one without any big bets, even though we like some angles here. Colts traveling to Miami. Dolphins laying two, total 42 and a half. And Scott, kind of as I alluded to, there's a side you want to get a play on, but you can't quite bring yourself to do it. Oh, yeah, man, Matt. Uh, Indianapolis, you know, they're kind of in the same situation as they were last week um, at Tennessee. Some really good situations applying to them. But, man, this team's a mess. Uh, you know, Quentin Nelson going to be down. They could be down multiple uh, offensive linemen. I do lean under in this game, but I don't like to play such low totals under this under the total, especially early in the season from weeks three to seven. I believe it is non-division totals of uh, under 43 do have a little bit of a tendency to go over. And this is just a low total just in the just the way the NFL is played right now. But I do lean under. But, you know, these teams are pretty similar. They're, they're both horrible throwing the ball. Uh, they're both about average running the ball. Um, they're both about slightly, slightly ab below average defending the pass and defending the run. Um, and now I guess that's why you've got a spread, you know, of two, two and a half here. Uh, I'd like to take Indianapolis on a teaser as well, but I just don't have any confidence in Indianapolis right now, um, given everything they're going through. So no play for me, a little bit of a lean towards the under, uh, but that's about it. Yeah. And Chris, it's tough for you to trust either team here as well. Well, I really enjoyed uh, riding the Miami bandwagon last year, and uh, un unfortunately, uh, it it's time to hop off that bandwagon. Uh, shockingly enough, uh, Miami was the number one team in the league on third down conversion rate on defense. How do you drop all the way to rock bottom that fast? There's number 32 in that metric this year. Uh, that's just a huge drop. It's a huge change in what's going on for them. And I have them in the bottom third defensively overall, and I have them dead last offensively. They, I mean, I don't, I don't know how Miami, you know, in Indianapolis obviously is no prize to have this week either. I mean, this is just a, a game with the, like a dog with fleas. Everywhere you look, there's a headache and a problem. But uh, realistically, Miami shouldn't be favored in this game. This is, is they, they haven't done anything to demonstrate that they belong to be favored. And, and Indian, Indianapolis is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, so we don't know what's going to show up and who's even going to be available to play. So... Uh, with that in mind, I don't have a lot to say otherwise, other than I lean Indianapolis. If they get healthier, uh, I'm going to take a bite on them, but uh, I can't look Miami's way in this game. Yeah, well, Chris, you mentioned the Colts being a little Jekyll and Hyde so far this season. I haven't really taken much notice of the positive side of that equation, and because of that, I lean toward the Dolphins at minus two. The Colts, plus three in turnovers last week, still couldn't cover too many injuries to name at this point. I mm -hmm. think Brissett looked all right against the Raiders, but that said, I'm in alignment here. Too many unknowns. Going to steer clear of this one. 
And on that note, I think we can move on to the next game on the board. Carolina traveling to Dallas. The Cowboys currently laying four and a half, total 51 and a half. And Scott, we've seen a lot of strong two-way action on this one over the course of the week. Yeah, I really wanted to take Carolina here, Matt, but, um, you know, we know McCaffrey's out. I do think uh, Chuba Hubbard will will be okay, but he's clearly not uh, McCaffrey. And then, of course, the other one uh, is J.C. Horn in the secondary, and he was third best in yards per coverage snap in the NFL uh, this year. So that that is a big loss for them. I know they picked uh, up some secondary help this week, but still that's a loss. Um, my numbers kind of lean slightly to the under in this game. But the way this game could play out, I could see this being a higher scoring. Carolina, fifth best in the league in big pass plays, uh, which is defined for me by 20 yards or more. Dallas, second worst in the league in defending big pass plays. So I could see Carolina getting some chunk plays here in that regard. Um, and what's, what this is really going to come down to is Carolina's defensive numbers are very, very good. We know that. The question becomes, is that because they played have played a light schedule? And, of course, with Horn out now, does, do they regress a little bit? Or do they truly have a really, really good pass defense, which is also aided by a rush that can put pressure on the quarterback, but the Cowboys are pretty good defending pressure. So that's what this comes down to. If, if Carolina's defense is for real, um, then I think Carolina hangs in this game. Uh, if they get exposed a little bit or they're losing something because Horn's out, then you know Dallas could cover this game. My, my numbers now with the injuries and whatnot lean a little bit towards Dallas in this game. Like I said, they lean under, but I can see the way this game could play out with some pass plays uh, over the top being a little bit higher scoring game and possibly go over the total, but no play for me. Yeah, Chris, it seems like you're seeing both sides of the coin as far as this game is concerned as well. Yeah, and, and you know, the thought just occurred to me to kind of explain how I view strength of schedule in the NFL. We, we know in the NCAA, it's, it's, it's extremely important, but... I look at the NFL a little bit differently. These guys are all professionals. And the gap between the best and the, and the worst teams may not always be as wide as you, as you think. I mean, is the gap between playing a bad team, playing their best game, really that different than a good team? You can't just look at the teams. There's a lot of other factors that go into determining, you know, and how important it is. So I, I believe strength of schedule washes out a lot more than people realize uh, just for some of these variables that you can't really pay, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, tangibly mark, you know, uh, and, 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 and so to speak. I lost my train of thought there, but uh Carolina's obviously played very good defense. They're number one in the league by some metrics. Uh, I certainly have them there at the top. And, you know, you can only play the teams that you play. And I, I believe McCaffrey being out is a, is a big hit for them. I remember them last year. They fell apart, and they were paper mache the rest of the year. Uh, so that concerns me. But I, I really like Rule as a coach. I think this team is playing much smarter, much better this year. And I, I don't know why Jerry uh, Jones had to throw, you know, uh, smoke out there with uh, his comments about rule. Uh, he was uh, considering hiring him and chose McCarthy just because, you know, he thought McCarthy was better. And it was, it's just kind of insulting to rule. So, you know, another way to motivate the Carolina team. You've got the Cowboys coming off that 
that game that they looked really, really good on a short week off Monday night football. And we all know what happens in those situations. Uh, more times than not, you come back flat. And uh, the Carolinas got their backs up against the wall. They know they're going to, you know, they're being undervalued and uh, underappreciated. And uh, I think they have a fighting chance in this game. Yeah, well, not only the Cowboys coming off of Monday Night Football, but the Panthers coming off of Thursday Night Football from the previous right. week. So a pretty decided yeah. edge as far as rest goes, favoring the Panthers. That said, I'm pretty neutral on this side. Chris, you touched on it. The Panthers have a soft schedule thus far. That said, we should give them credit for dominating the schedule given to them. My angle on this game is looking at the total, and I'm going to go with the over at 51 and a half. I will note this line has crossed through the key number of 51 over the course of the week, so it is a smaller bet for me, but I still do see enough value. Again, credit the Panthers' defense for manhandling the opponents they've been given thus far, but I think the Cowboys are a marked step-up in class. And now to take that on without J.C. Horn and two other key cogs from their week one rotation on defense, I think that might be problematic for Carolina. Um, on the other side for Dallas, their defense has been impressive so far, and I don't want to dodge that. I do think they've been aided by some turnover luck along the way, and that tends to regress over the course of a season. And I also want to give some credit to the Panthers on offense, um, not just their personnel, but offensive coordinator Joe Brady, I think really doing all he can to maximize Sam Darnold, using more pre-stat motion and play action and passing more heavily on early downs. I see plenty to like about both offenses in this game, especially the Cowboys. And I think both teams should be able to move the ball up and down the field pretty well. So that has me on the over 51 and a half in this one. And guys, before we move on, we have a question from the chat that I want to get to. Brian asks, can Dallas escape with a win without having clock management issues? Eventually, this will cost them. What do you guys think so far of the way the Cowboys have been managing the clock in some key situations and how that might work out for them moving forward? Scott? <laughs> yeah, I, I got a well, I, I was going to say I have a lot to say. I don't have a lot to say, but I'm pretty strongly opinion on this. What McCarthy did at the end of the first half in that game, it, it is just inexcusable. He had another possession that he could have grabbed hold of and used. You only get 10, 11, 12 possessions in a game. And, and I go back to uh, the year that Jacksonville played New England in the AFC Championship game and for the most part dominated that first half. And right at the end of the first half, New England scored. Jacksonville got the ball back with 55, and they were still up in the game, I forget how much, maybe four, seven points. 55 seconds left in two timeouts, and they took two or three knees and went to the halftime. That was the worst mistake in the world because I guarantee you, at the end of that game, and they lost that game, I believe, by one less than one possession, um, if you can go to their coach and say, hey, we're going to give you 55 seconds, two timeouts, and the ball at your own 40 or whatever it was, it was very good field position, he would take that in a heartbeat. And he gave that up at the end of the first half, just like McCarthy gave it up. Now, it didn't matter in that game on Monday night because they dominated that game. But against a good coach and a good team like Carolina and other teams like that, that will come back to haunt him. That is 101, absolutely inexcusable. Um, he, he can't even defend his position on that. He was happy where they were at halftime. Please, that, that, that is just an idiotic uh, statement, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think he's basically, he, he's past his prime. He's, he's demonstrated it for years that he's past his prime, and, and they're going to have to win despite him. I, I don't understand how they keep getting these coaches that have blatant failures and flaws. It, 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 it's just inexcusable. 
Yeah, and I'll add something that I heard to show the other side of things here. One of the sharper minds I know, a friend who also happens to be a Cowboys fan, noted that he actually didn't have a problem with that situation because in his eyes, the Eagles' best offense in the game to that point had been having their defense on the field with the Cowboys pinned deep in their own territory. Obviously, they had Fletcher Cox recover a fumble in the end zone. Um, but to your point, Scott, about McCarthy saying he was happy in that situation, I think you'd be a whole lot happier if you could try to get another score on the board going into the half. And in the first half in that game, the Cowboys were on the field pretty much the entire time. And by not taking that last possession and the Eagles getting the third quarter kickoff, there was a chance that despite all that domination, they would have been up by less than a touchdown the next time they saw the ball. So, of course, the result was great for Dallas. I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I do agree that in the long term, the process tends to mirror the result, and that's a pretty questionable process any way you slice it, in my view. Well, and I'll just add one other other thing on that real quick. Uh, If memory serves me right, um, they could have taken a timeout after second down it, would, it was going to be third and long. I get like when you don't want to take that yeah. time out uh, because, you know, you might ultimately give them a chance to pick up the third down then and then get a first down and start going. But after the third down was done, uh, there's just no no reason in my mind to not take the time out. But. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that covers it pretty well. Uh, that's probably as close to a lot of the mainstream conversation as we'll get. But I think it warrants discussion. And thank you for the question, Brian. Let's move on to the next game on the board and talk Giants-Saints. New Orleans currently laying a flat seven to 42. That under has been hammered over the course of the week. And Chris, you touched on a Jekyll and Hyde team earlier. I'd say the Saints have been a little Jekyll and Hyde this year. We've got some teaser teaser exposure on them tied to the Bengals last night. What's your current read on the Saints? Oh, I don't, I don't know how anybody can have a read on, on the Saints other than I think it's obvious Winston is – the most amount of yards he's thrown this season is 148 yards. The, the coach doesn't trust him, and he just doesn't want him to make mistakes. So th- their focus is going to be ground control and kill the clock and, and just try to be smart. Don't let him do what he did in Tampa Bay and, uh, uh, and make mistakes. So, you know, you've got the health issues with New Orleans still, and – the, the Giants, geez, who the hell, you know, they're going to have to, you know, put uh, ads in the paper for players if things get any worse. I, I can't even keep up with them all. Uh, as I mentioned in divisional previews, there's no way Galladay is ever going to stay healthy for the, a whole season. So I was happy he, he's gone. But, boy, he, this guy can't last anything. So I'm basically going to sit this one out. My metrics lean toward the Giants a little bit. And uh, – but – I, I've got too many other interests this week, and, and I, I see this game can go either way. It, it doesn't matter. If the Giants were to win by a field goal, it wouldn't surprise me. And if the New Orleans won 28-7, to it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there, Chris. We've got that teaser exposure on the Saints intact after the Bengals squeaked through last night in the first leg. We broke that down on the Tuesday show. At this point, I'll just sit back and let that exposure on the Saints ride on Sunday. I was going to say I still like the Saints in a teaser leg if you haven't bet them yet. And I do think there's some validity to that notion, looking at the clearly superior team at home, needing to do a little more than win outright. But now with this line down to a flat seven, the Saints do have a little less teaser appeal to me since we're no longer crossing through that key number. I think that may warrant a reduced wager amount if you haven't gotten down on it yet. But that said, Scott, you are aligned with Chris and I on those teaser notions for the Saints. 
I am. And, and just and it, it's a good point on the teaser, Matt. You know, if you're laying on a six point teaser, uh, a buck 20, you get that teaser has to win 73.9% of the time. So let's just call that 74%. And if you're laying just historically, now this is going back all the way back to 1983 on a home favorite of seven, they're only winning about 73.5% of the time, uh, you know, in terms of teasing that. So you're actually a little bit below where you need to be. Since 2015, though, where we saw the, the 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 extra point get moved back, so you've got a little bit different dynamic in the scoring. They're now winning uh, that same seven point favorite at about 76 and a half percent. So there has been some value over the last six years laying uh, doing the teaser on a seven. Uh, so I'm on them uh, because of that. Plus, I've got a metric that I use that works pretty well for teasers and does su suggest a play here. Um, and the Saints are hard to figure out. They're either getting crushed or crushing teams. So uh, just a whole bunch of variants. But the Giants are eighth worst in generating big pass plays. The Saints are 10th best in uh, defending big pass plays. That tells me the Giants aren't likely to get plays down the, down the field. And, of course, they may not have Slayton or Shepard at the receiver position. Galladay, uh, as Chris mentioned, a little banged up as well. I think that could be trouble for them. And even though the Giants have been actually a little bit better than average throwing the ball, again, with those receivers, if they're out, could hurt them. The Saints have been phenomenal defending the pass. They've been phenomenal defending the run. And even though the Saints have just been kind of average running the ball, the Giants are about 0.7 yards per rush below average defending the run. So I see the Saints being able to run the ball, maybe some Camara uh, out, of, out of the backfield. And I just don't see the Giants being able to move the ball enough to score. Uh, Armstead, the left tackle for the Saints, is out, so that's noteworthy. But also the Giants lock Blake, lost uh, Blake Martinez, their key linebacker. He's out. That is not going to help them as well. So um, getting the Saints at minus one and a teaser here I think is a pretty good opportunity, and uh, we have a pretty good chance of winning it, in my opinion. You know, speaking of teasers, I just want to remind people, if you're doing two-team two teasers around the touchdown uh, area, you can always just plunk in the money line and you might actually find a cheaper price uh, just playing a parlay of pick them. And the same thing goes true for uh, if you're doing three team teasers of 10 points. If you have three teams that are somewhere around nine and a half, 10, 10 and a half, uh, plunk those in a parlay and see what they pay. And you might just get pick them all across the board for a better price. So don't forget to do that. Great point. You're right. Yeah, I think we can always endorse trying to find the best number you can get on this show. And there's a number that's going to be in play in this next game we can get to. Let's talk Chiefs, Eagles, Kansas City heading to Philadelphia. The spread currently, uh, this graphic is listing uh, different numbers for each team. But I believe BetUS has the Eagles at a heavily juiced seven and the total at 54 and a half. Chris, this is uh, kind of similar to that Jets game looking like it could be another plug your nose special this week. Yeah, it definitely is a hold your nose. Uh, I mean, what can you really say positive about uh, Philadelphia at this point? Uh, they embarrassed themselves on Monday Night Football, and it, and it really was an embarrassment. Uh, they they just they didn't have a game plan, and um, the you know when you see hurt, he's got all that time to throw, and he can't he he doesn't seem to be able to do it when he when he has time to throw or is in the pocket. He seems to do better when he's on the run. So, uh, you know, that's a that's a strange thing about it. But this Kansas City team is not the same Kansas City team uh, that 
we have given such a great reputation to. I, I think it's, I, I said it last year about Kansas City. When are we going to believe Kansas City is what the stats say they are instead of uh, believing they are better than what they're doing? And it, it, so we're now a year and a quarter in. They've had a tough schedule, but they're at the bottom of the league in the defense. Their defense is, you know, is open season and their offense isn't that great. Well, their offense is still pretty good, but they're living on reputation. And Mahomes has is, is started throwing some picks in some bad situations and they, they just have some leaks. And I'm not going to be in a position where I'm laying a touchdown on the road thinking they're going to cover. I'm going to be taking that touchdown. So I definitely lean with uh, Philadelphia here. Yeah, and one quick follow-up question for you. And I'll confirm, there was a little confusion with the graphic, but I just checked the current line at BetUS. Does have the spread at 7.5. It's a juicy minus 130 for Philly, plus 110 coming back on the Chiefs. And Chris, you mentioned their offense kind of going back and forth as to how good they really are. Um, My thought is that they've had some pretty fluky turnovers, and that's been holding their scoreboard output in check. So I think that there is still plenty of appeal to the offense. What do you make of the turnovers they've had so far this season? Uh, versus how good you really view the offense to be from a true talent basis. Well, Mahomes is responsible for the turnovers that he's been throwing. So uh, that's that's not like him. And sometimes stuff like that becomes contagious. So, uh, uh, you know, fumbles are random. Uh, you know, some turnovers are random. And... It, what I like about my metrics is it tells me how teams are playing overall. And believe it or not, I know Philadelphia stats are a little skewed from game one against Atlanta. These teams are not as far as part as is they're not seven points apart the way they played this whole season. So, and Philadelphia has got the home home field. So it's a full team effort with how I'm evaluating the teams. Yeah, understood. Well, Scott, something that Chris touched on that looms large for you in this one as well, some question marks around that Chiefs defense. Yeah, uh, well, and Chris hit it. And and by the way, uh, remember last year, and I forget the number I don't have it in front of me, we talked about this in the preseason. KC was 7-1, 8-1, whatever it was in close games, uh, decided by seven or less points. So I think they're 1-2 and two this year, right? Adding the turnovers. And we talked about a possible regression, no matter how good a team is. Uh, you know, those teams historically, over the long haul, regress closer to 500 and maybe that's what's really happening with Kansas City they haven't covered a spread yet this year which is uh you know again kind of mind-blowing but to Chris's point maybe they are who they are and when we look at it they're you know Kansas City's offense has been very good I got them at almost a, a one and a half yards better than average throwing the ball but Philly's actually been just under a yard better than average defending the pass so uh even though Kansas City will have an advantage there um you know at least Philadelphia will put up some resistance there potentially and Philly hasn't been great throwing the ball. They're just under a half yard better than average throwing the ball. But as Chris pointed out, Kansas City is a full yard worse than average defending the pass. So again, Philadelphia is going to have a little bit of an advantage there and be able to move the ball. Um, and Philly did not run the ball. We all know that last week. I would not be surprised if they make a more concentrated effort to run the ball. Obviously, keep it out of Mahomes' hands. And it's a perfect opportunity. They're 0.8 yards better than average running the ball. Um, while Kansas City's 0.4 yards below average defending the run. So I can see Philly running it, taking some shots down the field, maybe a little play action. 
they are down another offensive lineman, so potentially down three offensive linemen. Uh, but at least Hertz has got some mobility to his game that might help elude that a little bit, unlike a Carson Wentz. So um, I haven't played this yet. I may play Philly. Uh, that's the only side I would look. Um, and I agree. It's it's very hard to lay points um, with as bad of a defense that Kansas City is right now. You know, as I look at the, my my rankings, Kansas City is far more mediocre than people would like to believe. And Philadelphia is far less mediocre than people would like to believe. And that kind of puts them in a little sandwich, uh, you know, in the Panini press. It puts them a little bit closer. So uh, that's just my observation. <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead and pass on this one. I'll, I'll pass on the Panini press, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I, I think for the Eagles, something that could work against them potentially that short week. We talked about the Cowboys being off Monday Night Football. So is Philly after getting undressed in Dallas. And I think their defense might pay a price for that game because it was on the field for 35 minutes and more than 70 snaps. And with the Chiefs, I think we're finally starting to see some of the love in the marketplace start to fade. That loss to the Ravens on Sunday night a couple weeks ago, I think was pretty fluky with a late fumble. And they were minus four in turnovers against the Chargers last week. Still in that game to the very end, I think with some turnover regression, and, and maybe I'm seeing a bit more of a talent gap, Chris, than you are between these two teams. I see the possibility for the Chiefs to roll in Philadelphia. But that said, it all comes down to the number. And this one just seems too big to swallow for me. So I'll make it a pass. And guys, speaking of numbers that are too big to swallow, Let's get to our next game and look at Houston traveling to Buffalo and the Bills currently laying a massive number, 17, total of 47. And Chris, we touched on it on our Tuesday show. It was nice to see Josh Allen get back on track last week. Other than that, not too much to say about this one. Yeah, let's just be like the camera guy and family guy when he, when he goes to the, uh, the weather. And, I'm not playing the game. Back to you. <laughs> Scott. I see a Cabo reference in here for your take on this game. I'd say uh, pass the tequila with a uh, pineapple juice chaser and let's move on. Yeah, uh, all I'll say here is I'm going to lean to Houston at this number. Extra rest off the Thursday night. Of course, if the Bills play like they did last week, this one should be a blowout. And if Josh Allen's not in that 2020 form, it could be a struggle for Buffalo to build margin. So we'll just see how this one unfolds with no action in pocket on Sunday in Buffalo. And at this stage, I'll call a quick timeout here. We've reached the end of the early slate on Sunday. To our live audience on YouTube, thanks for joining us here. Give us a thumbs up. Make sure to jump in the comments, subscribe, all that good stuff. And with that said, let's move on to the late window on Sunday. A big NFC West showdown, Arizona at the Rams. The Rams currently laying four and a half, total at 54 and a half. And Scott, there's a side you like in this one. Yeah, I like Arizona here. I know, you know, people have talked about Arizona's secondary, and there's probably some truth to that. But, you know, pass defense is really two things. It's obviously your secondary, but it's also the pressure uh, that you put on the quarterback or don't put on the quarterback. And so I think Arizona gets a little bit of, sh of a short change here compared to the Rams' defense. And Arizona, 10th best and fewest sacks allowed this year, while the Rams are 8th worst in generating pressure. So, now, there are some concerns on the offensive line for Arizona, so we'll put that to the side for a second. Um, but short of that, Arizona should have a little bit of success here being able to throw the ball. Their fourth best in success rate for me. Rams are eighth worst in allowing success rate. Uh, so, again, people are talking about the Rams like their defense is fantastic. I don't know that we've necessarily seen that completely this year. Uh, Arizona almost a full yard better than average throwing the ball. 
Rams about a half yard worse than average defending the pass. Yeah, they've got Jalen Ramsey, who's a shutdown corner, no question about that. Uh, but and, and that fit perfect for Tampa last week, who was a little bit decimated on the uh, receiver's spot. But Arizona can throw a lot of receivers down the field. It's kind of taken away a little bit of that advantage. So, And the Rams themselves have been fantastic, over two yards a pass, better than average throwing the ball. But Arizona's actually been a little bit better than average defending the pass. But again, some of that's coming from the pressure that they're putting on the quarterback as well. I, I see both these teams are about a yard and a half better than average when you factor in the de- defenses that they're going against, which makes it kind of equal. And now we're getting four and a half points. Um, so I like Arizona in this game. And I know Arizona, and I've been part of this, has, has been dominated by the Rams uh, in recent years. And I've been on the Rams in many of those games. I do think this is a little bit different Arizona team this year. Um, so again, from a passing standpoint, I think these teams are about average. Getting four and a half is a pretty good number, I think. Um, and we got to worry a little bit about the offensive line. They could be down a couple offensive line starters for Arizona. But short of that, uh, I like the Cardinals in this game. Yeah, and Chris, it seems like you're seeing eye to eye with Scott in this one. I am seeing eye to eye with him uh, on this game. Uh, I think this is a statement game for Arizona. And I, I kind of like the fact that they kind of floundered a little bit last week and gave teaser betters a, a little bit of a scare. Because uh, you kind of expect that a little bit because they were uh, uh, off a big game and then uh, look ahead to the Rams. The Rams knocked them out of the playoffs last year. Not that they would have done anything in the playoffs, uh, but nevertheless, uh, Arizona really should want to make a statement here. This is a flat spot for the Rams. The Rams have just come off Tampa Bay. They face Seattle on a short week ahead. Uh, if they could possibly conserve some energy, they would. Uh, not that they, not that they're thinking about that, but uh, I just think Arizona has enough. And statistically, on my models, th- these two teams are much closer uh, than uh, one would think. And slightly different schedules, and it's hard to factor in fully. But this line doesn't belong at four. That's for sure. So. Uh, I, I, I definitely uh, lean with Arizona in this game. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and make it a lean on my ends toward the Cardinals as well. Maybe it's recency bias keeping me from betting this one, getting burned by the Rams last week after betting against them. I thought they looked too impressive to go against right now. I've been expecting some regression from their defense this season. Haven't seen any big signs of it yet. And it's not just what the Rams have been doing right but I was really impressed by what they didn't do wrong last Sunday in beating the Bucks. No turnovers, only one penalty for four yards. And also, Scott, you kind of touched on it. The Cardinals offense might have some issues up front. Three of their offensive linemen haven't practiced yet this week. So I think that warrants monitoring over the course of the next couple of days leading up to kickoff. From one NFC West showdown to another, let's move on and talk Seahawks 49ers. And as Seattle travels to the Bay Area, we've got San Francisco laying three at even money, total at 52. And Scott, you're in play on this total. Yeah, I I like it over. Uh, Obviously, a little bit of a high total, but I still show a little bit of value here, closer to uh, about 54 points uh, by my metrics. Um, And I think both these teams are going to be able to move the ball through the air. Seattle, the sixth best team in big pass plays, again, 20 yards or more. 49ers are 12th worst in allowing big pass plays. And that could even get worse because we know how banged up they are in the secondary. Uh, In Green Bay, you know, they were finding wide open receivers last week in that game as well. Um, 
Now, the 49ers, they're about ninth worst in generating big pass plays. And the Seahawks have actually surprisingly been pretty good, ninth best in defending big pass plays. So they could limit the 49ers a little bit here and kind of leads me towards Seattle a little bit as well. Uh, but both these teams, when you look at if they're above or below average in either throwing the ball or defending the pass, they both net out to the positive in throwing the ball. So I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball through the air. Um, and Seattle should be able to stop San Francisco's run game. They're above average defending the run uh, in this game as well. Again, a little bit of a lean to Seattle because of that as well. And we've got three receivers in this game that are in the top third in the league in yards per route run in Debo Samuel for San Francisco and then Lockett and Metcalf for Seattle. So I see plenty of big plays down the field in this game. Uh, and I think there's enough there to get over uh, the total. And, you know, it's funny, it wasn't too many years ago, both these teams really prided themselves on defense. Uh, it's just the opposite now. You could question either, whether either of these defenses are above average right now. And I think there can be enough points scored in this game to get us over the total. Do you have any uh, added information on uh, the calf injury for uh, Kittle? I don't. I saw something yesterday, you know, something to the point where he's going to play because that's just who he is, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I've had calf injuries. And if they're not right, uh, you know, I've sat out for I hurt mine playing softball, sat out for a long time, came back, got in the plate, took one swing, thought it was better. Boom. I couldn't even move out of the plate. It wasn't right. So they're tricky. I mean, you can't. It's not like a rib where you just tolerate pain. If that cap's not right, it's not right, right? So, but I haven't seen anything indicating that he's going to miss it. Yeah, I, I saw something this morning that he's now more of a uh, closer to a, a game day decision. And from what I understand, there's two different types of calf injuries, uh, you know, that are, you know, the primary injuries that you would get. And and one of them is harder to recover from. So it's kind of unclear uh, uh, which one this is, but it, it seems like uh, it, this might be the one that's harder to recover from. So that's a big concern with me on this game because I, I'd like to lean San Francisco. I, I feel like uh, there's lots of cracks in the armor with Seattle. I have them, you know, pretty mediocre. And they, you know, I realize it was tough coming off of that, uh, that game uh, that they had before Minnesota. Uh, with Tennessee, but uh, they really came in flat. And uh, it, it, it's not the same Seattle we've seen in years past. Seattle's had, had a history, at least that I remember, where they start off pretty strong and they seem to surprise people. Uh, and uh, they're starting off slow this year. And I think San Francisco is still a solid team. When you just look at you know what the division was supposed to be going into the season, while Seattle was going to be maybe third place and San Francisco was the clear favorite. Well, so why are we dangling between two and a half and three when Seattle's clearly not playing up to standards and, and, and San Francisco's doing, you know, what they're supposed to do, uh, it, albeit it looks harder than it should be, but uh, uh, it, it didn't kind of make sense to me. So, uh, without more injury information, and and I, I think Jimmy G without Kittle would be in some real deep trouble and, and have some more difficulty moving the ball that's, that would scare me about the total. Uh, it, the, it, another key metric with, with Seattle is they're not holding on to the ball. They, they've lost five minutes per game in time of possession, which is a significant number, and that adds up. And it, it says that there's something uh, – uh, monumentally different from the past so far. So I lean San Francisco pending injury news. 
Yeah, I wonder if that Seattle time of possession change could be due to revamping the offense to be more pass-heavy. People have talked about letting Russ cook, and if they're not running as much, that could have an impact on time of possession if those passes aren't moving them up the field efficiently. And all things considered, I'm going to go ahead and lean to the over at 52 here. I think, Chris, good point about the George Kittle injury. That's certainly a fly in the ointment. But I do see a San Francisco secondary that was already shorthanded, now possibly without Josh Norman and Kawan Williams at cornerback. Both of them haven't practiced yet this week. Scott, you touched on it, that Seattle defense, a far cry from the Legion of Boom days. But in terms of why it's just a lean, I find it tough to pull the trigger on 52 here when we were able to take Green Bay at San Francisco over 50 last week. Uh, This is telling me the market has started to adjust a good bit to San Francisco totals. And also, when it comes to the coaches, Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll both have been making some very questionable decisions to punt recently, and punts can be a death knell to overs. So just a lean for me on the over 52 in this one. On that note, I think we can move on from some NFC West showdowns to the big AFC showdown on Sunday in the late slate, and that would be the Ravens traveling to Denver to take on the Broncos. Baltimore currently laying one at BetUS, total 45. And Chris, this is another one where we've seen a lot of two-way action. Yeah, we have. And and here's an example of uh, a game where I just can't believe my lying eyes. Uh, I I couldn't jump fast enough to bet Baltimore on teasers. And I I thought this line was nuts. You know, I'm I'm thinking, okay, Denver's back from the long road trip. Uh, uh, They just got off the Jets and uh, um, uh, Baltimore, you know, had the close call. They should come in hungry. Uh, Denver's uh, uh, 3-0, and and they've played nobody. You know, boy, it just seems it just seems laid out on a platter for Baltimore here, doesn't it? Uh, the metrics come in, and they tell me an entirely different story. And, uh, again, we're in the same situation we talked about before. You can only play the teams that you can play. And I believe when – we really thinking about it. Baltimore's, li- you know, is Baltimore living up to expectations? Are, are we just, is that another team where uh, we just know what they're capable of and what they used to do? I remember our divisional previews. We were looking forward to them just rolling over teams in the regular season, and then we'll see what they can do in the playoffs. That's not the case. They're 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 not even top ten offense in my categories, and they're. Uh, bottom third defense, uh, albeit they had to play Kansas City uh, and uh, took a beating with the metrics there. But Denver has demonstrated too much consistency, and they're taking care of business. They, those aren't close games. They, they've taken care of business. They're playing the schedule they had to play. They're playing an elevation. Baltimore is not firing on all cylinders. What's going on with Lamar? He's been missing days for a couple weeks in a row now. And he was back in practice today, but there's eight other players that didn't practice today for Baltimore. And uh, I think uh, I, I think the wheels are a little shaky with Baltimore. And I, I'm leaning Denver on this one. Yeah, and Scott, it's tough to make heads or tails of this matchup for a lot of people, and and reasonably so, as Chris just laid out. So, how do you see this one going? I'm kind of with Chris here. Uh, I would take a look at Denver, I think, maybe in a teaser role here. They do actually qualify in a pretty good week four situation for undefeated teams. That's 16-1. and Uh, Again, that's not a huge sample size there. But it does 
does speak to undefeated teams do seem to have some success in week four for whatever reason. But, um, you know, and this is Chris is right. They played an easy schedule, but they at least dominated that easy schedule, which, uh, you know, hopefully tells you a little bit more uh, about them as well. Uh, the one concern for Denver here, they've got a couple injuries on the offensive line that bear need to bear watching uh, a little bit. But and, you know, and maybe Lamar Jackson is just a different animal in terms of what this Denver defense will face. The Denver defense, especially in the secondary, is very good. Um, now, could they force Lamar into some mistakes? Uh, because, you know, throwing isn't necessarily the thing that he does best, possibly. But on the other hand, Denver operates their offense a little bit different than some other teams. So maybe the advantages Denver carries on defense don't translate quite as well in this type of a game. But um, I think the Denver defense is real. They have suffered a few injuries there uh, that bear watching as well as the season progresses. But uh, I kind of like Denver in a teaser here. I'm, we're not going to have it as a best bet for me, uh, but it is something that I might look at to tease um, before the, the, the games get here on Sunday. I'm going to be interested to see when you place that teaser. Where does this line stop? Does it just keep on going up to two and a half? Uh, or does Denver ever get some more bite uh, and, and bring that line back down? Where do you think it's going to go? I think it goes up. I think it probably, it, you know, I think it hits two and a half. But uh, I don't know for sure. You know, uh, that's why I was asking you when you when you would pull the trigger on your teaser. Well, here, you know, this is something I think is important, too, that I've always tried to advise clients. If you've only got one out and the line's plus one right now, maybe go ahead and take it. Maybe a six and a half point teaser, not laying more than 120. You're at the seven and a half. If you've got multiple alts and the ability to monitor lines fairly decently, then at least you can monitor that stuff. And if you start to see it moving, hopefully one of your alts is still, you know, at a number that you can get the teaser. And of course, if it starts moving up, then it doesn't matter. You, you can kind of wait and see. But that's kind of my advice, um, you know, when watching something like that. As long as you can monitor it, hope you can still grab something if it starts to go against you. Yeah, I think both of these teams have some teaser appeal at the right number. In fact, I'll go ahead and lean Baltimore at the current spread of minus one. Baltimore was my favorite teaser leg early in the week. Chris, you and I were talking about that quite a bit leading up to our Tuesday show. And then a big move on the Ravens knocked them right out of teaser territory. Uh, but as far as things go with Denver, I think there's some similarities to what we said with the Panthers, where the Broncos schedule was a gift the first three weeks of the season. But to their credit, they took full advantage of it, and they've looked really good. Taking on the Ravens now, I see it as a step up in class. And now the Broncos dealing with cluster injuries at wide receiver, having lost K.J. Hamler on top of Jerry Judy in week one. So that's something that could be a factor for the Broncos. And of course, as you guys have both touched on, Lamar Jackson with that back injury, it seems like it's been precautionary holding out of practice, but definitely something to monitor over the next couple of days. We've got one more game to get to on the Sunday afternoon slate, so let's hit it. Pittsburgh traveling to Green Bay. The Packers laying a touchdown at even money, total 45 and a half. And Chris, do we have the makings of yet another hold your nose special here? Yeah, I mean, we do. You know, a friend of mine, Ron, mentioned something to me that uh, I thought had a uh, an interesting spin to it because we talked about Rogers and his Zen like stat, you know, state of mind at the beginning of the season. And, and, you know, did the NFL do this guy a really good favor, big favor for green Bay and Rogers by putting him on prime time to start the season? Because if he had started this season on daytime Sunday afternoon games, 
and just kind of not in the spotlight, maybe that laissez-faire, lackadaisical attitude, maybe that would have continued through the season. But, you know, being thrust on prime time uh, right out of the gate with these, these you know, wacky games, you know, hey, he, he's showing the intensity, he's, you know, uh, he's emotional after the games and stuff. So that's just a comment that I, I wanted to make about it because I don't have a lot to talk about on this game. But hey, hey, by the way, Chris, I, I know you weren't intending this, but he did start on a Sunday afternoon and he got his ass kicked in, in Jacksonville against New Orleans. Right. And then he went to prime time. So right. I know you weren't even probably thinking about it that way, but that's almost what happened. Yeah, it, it's amazing how they just it seemed to just turn the switch for him. So uh, it would have been nice. I don't know. I always root against the Packers for some reason. Would have been nice to see him struggle some more. But because uh, you're a Lions fan, <laughs> uh, I, I'm just anti Green Bay. No. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I want to see who's playing for Pittsburgh. You know, is Watt playing? I'm really worried about Ben. I, I boy, I'm really scared. I really hope this guy isn't embarrassing himself, and and this is a real crash and burn situation. Uh, because sometimes the news comes out and you just feel like, you know, are they going to come in and wheel him out or are they going to have to get security? Because the comments and his performance, boy, it's, it's ugly. And with all these injuries piling on, it's hard to get behind this Pittsburgh team, but you know, I'm showing that there's, there's, there's reason to look at that game and I want to see who plays. And I, I may just hold my nose and play the Steelers because that Green Bay defense is just garbage, and I'm not sure uh, what Rodgers' motivation is going to be on a Sunday afternoon, and I don't know how seriously they're going to take Pittsburgh. Yeah, and Scott, it seems like all those Steelers' injuries could be a big factor keeping you off this one for the time being. Well, you know, I think, first of all, I think Watt's going to play, I and mean, we'll see, right? But it sounds like T.J. Watt's put in, I believe, some full practices this week, so I think he's probably coming back. Uh, it looks like Deontay Johnson coming back at receiver. Uh, uh, Smith-Schuster, I think, may play. Um, but I'll probably end up taking my numbers. This is just really a numbers play and a value play. I do show a little bit of value in Green Bay in this game. Uh, and So I kind of like him uh, in a teaser, actually, in this game. And, you know, they they started playing their cornerback, their, their rookie cornerback, Eric Stokes, a few weeks ago. He's now sixth best in, sixth best in yards for coverage snap allowed. So pairing him with Jerry Alexander, we might start to see a little bit of difference in the secondary for Green Bay potentially uh, that might help them a little bit as well. It's just a numbers play for me. I kind of like Green Bay in a teaser here. We'll get them down to minus one, um, and and I think they can win the game. That Steeler offensive line is very bad. Uh, who knows what we got with Ben? And yeah, Zedarius Smith out, Packers defense. I don't, you know, I I was kind of impressed with what they did last week. I did not expect that necessarily, but. Um, I think Green Bay can do enough to come away and get a win in this game. Yeah, well, with that teaser, so you have the Vikings plus eight tied to the Packers minus one. And Chris is on the other side in one sense in both of those games, laying the points with Cleveland and Minnesota, taking the points with Pittsburgh and Green Bay. But the beauty of the teaser leaves a wide opening with that quarter of three through seven. So both of you could come out winners in these games. It's not necessarily a head-to-head like it might look like on paper. I'm going to go ahead and pass on this game. I think the Steelers being decimated by injuries just has too many unknowns for me. I view this one as a marquee matchup in the preseason that has lost a little bit of luster as we approach week four kicking off. 
And on that note, I think we can move on to primetime in a game that hasn't lost any of its luster. Sunday night football, the Bucks traveling to New England. You might have heard Tom Brady making his homecoming against the Patriots. Tampa Bay laying a touchdown, total 49. And Chris, who isn't on the Bucks in this one? Uh, I don't know. Very few people. There's most. There's a lot of sports books claiming that the the ticket count is 96, 97, 98 percent on Tampa Bay. The the liability, the teaser liability, the money line liability for Sunday night could be catastrophic exposure. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if this game develops a little bit like how a Super Bowl develops, where money line may get way off. So uh, pay attention to that closer if you see some goofy money lines available, uh, especially if you like the favorite or the, the dog, because a lot of extra value uh, on that money line because they're going to be begging for some New England money by then. Um, I, I just got notice. I don't know there was out before, but Gronk's going to be is is basically a game time decision. So he's not guaranteed to go. Uh, but I I I, I know New England looked kind of crappy last week, but they do stuff uh, okay that people don't see that show up. And Tampa Bay is annihilating an NFL record that was broken last year. And that is for giving up passing yards per game. Now, last year, Atlanta had the record at like 296 or 298, something like that. Tampa Bay's at like 338 a game, I saw today. I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, think about all the years we've been playing. and I mean, that's just annihilating. So you can pass the ball on Tampa Bay. Now, we can't picture Mac Jones getting into some sort of a passing uh, duel with Brady, of course, but it could be raining. Uh, it, it could be bad weather. Uh, there's a lot of emotion involved. We don't know where the Gronk's going. Is, uh, you know, what's, there's a lot of variables here. And, boy, I'll tell you, you couldn't possibly get more maximum effort from, uh, from the home team than this game. Uh, there's no way I'm laying... Uh, seven points with a team that we've already discussed before. Other than the playoffs last year, they look pretty average. They, they're not a top. They're not playing a top tier like a top tier team, and uh, the and that's that's painfully evident. They're getting way too much street credit, and people think Tampa Bay is better than they are, and New England is worse than they are, and. Getting seven at home and maybe even seven and a half. I'll take the Patriots. Yeah, Scott, you might be leaning the other way, but again, in a teaser, so not necessarily going head to head. How do you see this one going down on Sunday in Foxborough? Yeah, I, I, I'm with Chris in that I wouldn't lay seven with Tampa, but I do like him in a teaser. I think it's, I don't want to say a bad matchup because Chris pointed out, you know, this Tampa Bay team is not, you know, they're not uh, at the top of the league right now with the way they're playing. But I think a little bit of an unknown here with New England that, you know, you might not be aware of. They've played a first of all, they've only given up 5.3 yards a pass, which on the surface you say, OK, not bad. But they've only played who have they played the Jets, Miami uh, and uh, whoever they played last week, New Orleans. Uh, 
Yeah, New Orleans, right, who we know, you've said, Chris, is not throwing the ball. Those three teams are only averaging 4.3 yards a pass. Their pass defense is one yard worse than average. And if I look at a couple of their cornerbacks, obviously Gilmore's not playing, he's been out. Uh, Jonathan Jones and J.C. Jackson, they are 101st and 102nd in yards per coverage snap allowed. And if you look at players who have played at least 50% of the snaps, that only goes 113 deep. So those two players in the secondary are near the bottom of the barrel in terms of covering. Antonio Brown comes back. Uh, so I think they can move the ball through the air. Uh, now, you know, for Tampa, Jamel Dean got hurt last week. He was 17th best in yards per coverage snap allowed. So you're going to be hurt there. But to Chris's point, I don't know if New England can 100% take advantage of that. They're 0.9 yards per pass below average trying to throw the ball. And Tampa Bay has been very good stopping to run, which we know New England kind of wants to do as well. So I don't know if New England can move the ball on the ground. And Jamel uh, uh, White is uh, out at running back. He might be done for his career, I'm reading. Uh, that's a big loss for New England as well. So Chris is right. There's never going to be any higher motivation for New England. You know, Belichick, you know, whatever he does. Uh, I just think the matchup is just not well suited for New England to win the game. So I feel pretty comfortable with Tampa Bay in a teaser in this game. You know, a part of me just sits there and, and says, boy, uh, it just feels like Belichick's bringing a knife to a gunfight here. But, you know, when I listen to a lot of different podcasts and shows and stuff, and I hear people dissect the matchups and all these technical terms, and they're throwing the DVAO, DVAO and the EPA stats and all that sort of stuff. And I use all of that stuff, but when you're using these analysis of the games, it's, it's as if sometimes people think that they know something that the teams themselves are completely oblivious about. Like they're, you know, enlightening everybody. Oh, well, I can see this. Well, of course they know the same thing. And, you know, why don't people win at a higher win rate? Uh, because every year, every, every, every week, everybody has the answers and has these matchups and how they're going to get exploited. Well, yeah. And so do those teams and they make adjustments. That's why you don't win 60% of your games because the teams know that too. And they're going to make the adjustments and they may have been doing that crap, you know, you know, mediocre, mediocrely before, but they make the adjustments for that game. And that's why you get the 50-50 here, you know, even though people sound so smart and they have it all figured out with matchups and this, that, and the other. Sorry about the rant, but it's just something that occurred to me this morning. <laughs> well, and, and Chris, you mentioned how the books are getting slammed with Tampa Bay money, right? And we all know the lights are not as bright as they are in Vegas because everyone can just wake up and bet one side and the books lose that money. Um you know, I would rather be on the side that the book needs, quite frankly. So that always scares me, you know, when everyone's on that one side, because uh, it just doesn't go down that way over the whole course of the season most of the time. Right. So that that's always worrisome. It's not that easy. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah, I think they the, the, they had a FanDuel said they had fifty five hundred bets. At what point do you move the line? I mean, you just are you going to just sit there and take the one way action? There's a reason they're taking that action, and it's not seven and a half yet. Well, and Chris, to that end, before I get to my view on this game, what do you think the odds are that we see plus seven and a half as a widely available number between now and kickoff? You know, it, it's hard to predict. Uh, 
uh, I only see one book that's even leaning toward uh, seven and a half and everything and everybody else is leaning closer to seven. So uh, I, I, I got in at plus seven just because at one point, uh, you know, if you guys saw Brady in the interview, the guy looks emaciated. He's got a cold, but boy, does he look gaunt. Uh, if you haven't seen the photo, he didn't look good. Now, I fully anticipate the cold won't be a problem, uh, and it's just a bad photo of, of what I saw. But nevertheless, you know, you take a look at that, something's just not right. Uh, uh, so I think that they're going to have no choice but to send that uh, line up. If they're smart, they just move the money on it, and you don't see a seven and a half. I mean, that's what I would do if I was them. Got it. All right. Well, you touched on Brady there, and we have a note in the chat about rookie quarterbacks not performing well against the spread this season, probably just not performing too well in general this season. Jerry adding that in the comments. And I understand that, but I think it's built into the number at this point. And and so, Chris, I'm I kind of aligned with you on this one. I think this will probably be our most viewed game breakdown of the week on YouTube. And we probably shouldn't read the comments because I can already see everyone pushing back on us, giving New England too much credit here, raving about how much better Tampa Bay is. And I don't dispute the Bucs being the better team or Brady having motivation going back to New England. In fact, even after that Bucks loss last week, you can easily sell me on the case for Tampa Bay is the best team in the league. But to me in this one, it's all about that number. And while everybody seems to be on the Bucs, I think it's important to note pretty much any sharp money would have come in at less than a touchdown here. So we're not necessarily going head to head with any of the pros on Tampa Bay if we take New England at plus seven and a half, if and when we get that number. And to me, the key matchup in this game, while all eyes are on the Tampa Bay offense and Tom Brady breaking the all time passing yards record in New England, I'm looking at a couple underperforming units when the Patriots have the ball, and that would be the Patriots offensive line and the Tampa Bay secondary. I think it's going to be really important to see whether the Patriots pass protection can give Mac Jones any time to exploit that secondary or if the Bucks pass rush is going to take control. Of course, in this matchup, I'd love to have James White as a safety valve and the Patriots offensive line at full strength. But I think the Patriots injuries are built into this number and then some at this point. So it's a strong lean for me now, plus seven. But if and when we see Patriots plus seven and a half, I go ahead and make that my hold your nose primetime pick of the week. I have one other perspective. How about looking at it this way? Tampa Bay is not in the top 10 in offense or defense, according to my rankings. The highest they rank in either is 12th. If you have a team going on the road to face Bill Belichick in Foxborough, how the hell can a team that isn't in the top 10 in either category be laying seven to Belichick? Yeah, some good food for thought. Scott, one more thing to add? Well, I was just going to say, um, unless unless we find out down the road here, New England's not a very good team this year. I mean, that yeah. that could be – and, you know, to your point on the, on the pass rush, I think Arians came out this week and said, we know our secondary sucks right now. We need to get to the quarterback. They're averaging one sack a game against a collection of teams that are giving up 1.9 sacks a game. So – you know, they've been horrible trying to get to the quarterback. We'll see if that changes. And I think Trent Brown possibly comes back at right tackle for New England this week. That would be a big gain because they've struggled to kind of uh, replace him while he was out. So uh, if they can get to the quarterback, then, you know, it's going to be a different game. But uh, if they can't, yeah, maybe they can throw down the field on, on Tampa Bay and keep this game close. 
Yeah, well, we've got all eyes on Bucks Patriots right now, but we have a pretty good primetime game on Monday night to cap off week four. So let's get to that one and talk Raiders Chargers. The Chargers currently a juicy minus three at BetUS, total 51 and a half. We're going to get to Scott in a bit with a total in this one. But Chris, you and I are on a side in this one, and you're going to go ahead and put the Las Vegas in Las Vegas, Chris. Well, it, it's uh, th- this is an example of how you have to pivot. Uh, I, it, w- during divisional previews, I didn't have any optimism for Las Vegas. Uh, and you have to give them credit. They are winning games. They're winning close games. And uh, their defense is doing good things. Uh, the offensive line that wasn't supposed to be able to protect anybody is protecting. And, it, it, you know, Gruden has some secret sauce going so far. And you look at the Chargers, as you referenced earlier, uh, what, they were plus four in the turnover uh, uh, battle last week and barely won. Uh, the game before that, they, it was Blunder City with the uh, Dallas and uh, poor clock management. And each game this season has had folly in it for the Chargers. So uh, Anthony, Anthony Lynn is gone, and uh, somehow uh, the, the, the problems are still there. So uh, just a lot of this, a lot of that. Uh, I think these two, two teams are pretty much equal. So if you're able to get a, a cheap three or three and a half, that's where the value is. Uh, and uh, I, it really isn't even a Chargers home game. There's going to certainly be more Raiders fans at that game than Chargers fans. So uh, another added bonus. Yeah, and I'm seeing pretty much eye to eye with you on this one. You touched on the Chargers struggling to an outright despite a big turnover edge last week in Kansas City. Uh, some Anthony Lynn legacy, perhaps even fundamentals. The illegal shift penalties continue to crush the Chargers on offense. And for the life of me, as a fan of the team, especially, I, I just can't figure it out. And I'd also like to note that Brandon Staley's endgame clock management last week struck me as a clinic and breathing life back into the opposition. Instead of taking a chip shot field goal as time expired, the Chargers scored too fast, ended up giving the Chiefs the ball back with 32 seconds left plus a timeout. And they were only up by six at that point because they missed the PAT. So a touchdown is going to beat you in that spot. And what do they do on the ensuing kickoff? They blast it through the end zone for a touchback. And I think you've got to kick it high and short in that kind of scenario, forcing a return that burns some clock. The difference there between a touchback and forcing a return could be giving Patrick Mahomes one more play to beat you. And Chris, you've touched on it with the Chargers throughout, you know, going back to our AFC West preview, special teams, an issue over the course of the years, that still doesn't seem to be fixed. Two more missed PATs last week and a 24-yard punt. I will say, I like Brandon Staley's aggression going for it on fourth down multiple times when a lot of coaches would have punted. So I do see plenty to like about Staley. But overall for the Chargers last week, I see a good result. We know they've got tons of talent, but that struck me as a very shaky process. And some one more thing, Chris, that you noted that I'll echo. This line seems right to me if we're giving the Chargers a standard home field but I think they deserve next to no home field with a massive pro Raiders crowd. I've been saying for years, the Raiders might still be the most popular NFL team in Los Angeles. So I'm with you taking the Raiders for plus three at even money. And Scott, no side for you in this one, but you do have a total play. Yeah, I I like it under the total here, Matt. Uh, You know, average points scored in the NFL right now this year, give or take, is about 47 points. So we're sitting at 51 and a half. So we're obviously uh, above what an average game would show. And, and then when you look at the matchups in this from a Raiders, you know, throwing the ball, running the ball, 
versus the Chargers stopping the pass or run. The advantages uh, on both sides of this way to the defense. So if we're above average for what an average game is scoring and the defense is going to have the advantage in both of these, there's just a little bit of value here to the under. And, you know, the Raiders have been very good throwing the ball this year, but the Chargers have been very good stopping stopping the pass. Uh, and on the other side, the Chargers are below average uh, on offense right now. And the Raiders are doing just enough on defense. They're right around average, give or take, on defense. But that's about what that team needs. And obviously, if they get better, that's great. But that's about what that team needs to go along with their offense. So I see the defenses having a little bit of an advantage on both sides of this. And the Raiders, with Casey Hayward and Nate Hobbs uh, in, in, in the secondary, they're both in the top third in yards for coverage rate allowed. And we know Staley, just like we talked about last week, he's going to play too deep back there. He's not necessarily going to allow them to throw deep. And, you know, the Raiders are the top team in the league in big pass plays, again, defined by 20 yards or more. But the Chargers are fourth best in defending that, partly because they play back. And on the other side, while the Chargers are seventh best in generating those big pass plays, the Raiders are 11th best in defending that. So I don't see a ton of huge big plays uh, getting, you know, big chunks of yardage in this game and making the teams run, uh, you know, move down the field a little bit. And the last thing here is um, – the Raiders have been decent running the ball this year, um, and the Chargers have been horrible defending the run. So I could see Gruden running the ball here a little bit and eating some clock as well as they go down the field. Uh, and then, you know, along with stopping the, the big pass plays, just to eat time. And so we're getting a fairly high total that I think has some value under, under in this game. Yeah, well, let's all root for perhaps a 24-23 Chargers win. Everybody goes home happy. And speaking of going home, let's hit the home stretch here. We've gone through the whole weekend board. Let's recap our best bets this week, and we can pull up a graphic to show the live YouTube audience. And there's a lot here, so I'll just touch on a few of our consensus plays. We've got Scott and myself on the Jets taking the plus seven. All three of us are teasing the Saints. Uh, Chris and I have exposure tied to the Bengals from last night. Scott pairing the Saints with the Bucks, taking Tampa Bay down to minus one. Scott and Chris, both on the Cardinals, taking four and a half points. And Chris and I also, both on the Raiders to cap things off at plus three at even money. All right, that about does it for us this week. We're going to get ready to sign off. But before we do so, I'd like to thank you for tuning into the Bet US NFL show. And for those of you with us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. If you have any thoughts or questions, let us know in the comments of this video. And if you're listening in podcast form, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter. You can find Chris at Las Vegas Chris, Scott at Sixth Sense NFL, and myself at MLandis18. Last but not least, don't forget to use the promo code NFL2021 when signing up at BetUS to claim your 125% signup bonus. All right, everybody, that'll do it for us. Enjoy week four. Best of luck with your bets. We're going to be back with you live on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, to review the action and preview week five, we'll see you then right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.